Welcome back to Sister Radio. My name is Zaki Thami and you are listening to episode 13. Sister Radio is a podcast by Sister Library. And just like the library, this space is about celebrating women. Every episode, we are joined by a sister and we have a conversation about so many different things including art and activism, relationships, growing up, doing together and of course reading books written by female authors. We are so grateful that you have been with us in this journey for 13 episodes this is the final episode of the season and I really want to thank you for your love and your support. I'm so glad to be joined today by my sister Mukta Sri Chakma. She is a feminist and indigenous rights activist, a journalist and a researcher. She's also founded an organization called SPARK. SPARK's work focuses on improving both traditional and formal justice systems in Bangladesh to ensure justice for women and girls. Let's start! Hey sis, I'm so glad you're here. Shall we start? Yeah, sure, why not? Okay, can you tell me where you are sheltered and how are you coping with the pandemic? Uh, right now I'm in Australia, although I belong to Chittagong Hill Tracks in Bangladesh. Uh, Chittagong Hill Tracks, we call it shortly CHT. So CHT is a part of uh, Bangladesh, which is the, in paper, which is uh, indigenous dominated area. But since the COVID happened, I'm in Australia now with my partner and my baby. Uh, he is only two years old. Because of the pandemic, we have to uh, come to Australia because my partner is Australian and also my baby. So yeah, and um, I think with the pandemic, it's it's been a bit of stress time um especially because i have to leave my friends and family in bangladesh and i constantly worry about their situation that how they are doing and how they are uh, you know coping with the changes that took place after the covid situation is happening so it's it's been very stressful time and to be very honest i think um, i'm facing the lowest time of my life now uh till date <laughs> i hope it never comes again but yeah it has been a very stressful time you know i'm i'm sort of like feeling guilty that i'm here in a safer space but my friends or family can't be here so yeah hmm. Yeah, I, I'm so sorry to hear that. 
but I'm glad that you are safe and your baby is safe and you have people around you that you can lean on. I'm wondering if you have indigenous friends there to connect with during this time? Yes, I do actually. I have a very good friend, Eddie, who is an indigenous lawyer in Australia. And uh, I have been in touch with him. I have been in touch with few other indigenous friends. Uh, so they, they were sharing their stories. So it has been also very stressful time for them. If you look into the Australian policy and strategy, I mean, there are lots of things that are positive steps that has been taken by the government to address the Aboriginal issues. Even during the pandemic, they have been identified as one of the most vulnerable community. But still in the indigenous community, I think the lack of information, the lack of translation of the information is a huge problem. And also because of the lifestyle, mm-hmm. because of the culture that the Aboriginal people nurture, that has been also a problem to, to sort of like deal with the COVID viruses. Right. My friends, I know that they are working towards it. That's what the information I got from my friends so far. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like as Indigenous peoples, Worldwide, our experience of the pandemic has been different from the experience of non-Indigenous peoples. Yeah, but Aki, I, I think I should mention one thing that when we look into the data in Bangladesh, we see that the COVID infected people in the Indigenous community is very low. You know, that's because they are not living in a very in a crowded places, you know. So they live in the hills. There may be like three or four families are living there. And also the way they sort of like build the immune system in themselves, that's also sort of helping. So that's one theory that, you know, because they are so isolated, they are not that much um, close to each other. So maybe the COVID is not infecting them in a way that is infecting the other people who are not indigenous people. But then there is, I keep on wondering that whether that's the true or the true is that the government is actually not uh, having much study or survey or, you know, uh, having, uh, having much more test in the indigenous community to find out how many people actually has been infected or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Because we don't just eat to be nurtured it's also in a way of like community care and caring for the environment so i think definitely indigenous people have had that foresight culturally but i was talking more about the care aspect of it like you know if indigenous people do get covid which they have in india in large numbers there is no hospitals available and even if the hospitals are there, the relationship that indigenous peoples have with hospitals and care providers is not very great, not that of trust. And that makes the situation even more stressful because the people that you're supposed to rely upon are not very reliable given the, like the history of colonization and uh, like the medical industry and how they have dealt with so oh yeah i completely agree 
because it's also also about the language and the culture as well you know and also uh, suppose as an indigenous person if i get infected if i'm i put in isolation where there is no friendly people you know no people from my community then i will not feel as comfortable as the other people and also uh, i think obviously you mentioned about the lack of hospitals and lack of the medical facilities and everything but also another thing is that even if i'm facing any problem when i'm talking about my problem i don't know whether they are understanding my language or not in the medical facilities you will see that there is rarely any translator has been provided you have to be a very privileged one to speak the state language then you can actually uh, pass through your masses so i completely agree with what you said and it's a huge problem and i think testing is also another big problem because i i don't think any government in the world are actually putting that much effort to have wide test in the indigenous community just to find out how many of them are infected or bearer even you know just just the covid bearer yes it's all the more reason for the people in the health service industry to learn indigenous languages it's so unfair that that burden is always put upon us i was also having this conversation with one of our relatives he is a 50 year old man recovering from covid and he was telling me about how he was unsure about going to the hospital because in his 50 years of experience his pain has always been disregarded by the doctors and the nurses and he always feels like they do not understand the kind of pain that he has been going through and that was just so heartbreaking to me to you know to not just deal with this sickness but also to have to deal with this um racism and the idea of how native people do not suffer and yeah that's a huge problem i think also media plays a role here i mean all the pictures all the photos all the films that are coming through the media about the indigenous people you will see that always they are portraying the indigenous community as the toughest one you know they can survive the storm they can survive the worst natural phenomena or you know they don't need medicine even if you look into like the movies that has been made on the indigenous people they always show the indigenous community as the toughest one you don't need a treatment you can uh, go to the ant and then just show your wound i think these are the problems about the media how they portray the indigenous people and how these myths are sort of like cultivated in other people's mind who are not from the indigenous community i'm i'm not saying that the indigenous healing doesn't matter indigenous healing matters but there is a point like when we need to have the medical treatments as well i mean science is there science is giving us so many blessings and just because we don't speak the mainstream language just because we don't wear the mainstream clothes just because we don't look like the mainstream people we are often pushing behind people are thinking that oh they can deal with more pain 
than the non-indigenous people can have. In a way, it sort of like gives you strength that you are stronger than the non-indigenous people. But also it's a problem because they are not putting much effort to understand our pain, to address our pain when we really need help. It's a bit pity, I think. And as you rightfully said that always the pressure is on the indigenous people. I think it's time for the mainstream people to learn about our knowledge and to also sort of understand our pain just because we are human. Yeah, definitely. I think it's extremely dehumanizing to unsee our pain, you know, and yeah, like we have our knowledge systems and I do believe in indigenous knowledge systems of healing but at the same time these uh, viruses and these sicknesses these are not natural you know these are industrial so like to deal with industrial level health problems we do need healthcare, which is also upgraded at an industrial level like you know to deal with natural sicknesses we can always fall back on traditional knowledge. Yeah, and also the thing is virus don't know who is indigenous and who is non-indigenous, right? Virus is just going to infect and we need the same quality of treatment. Yeah, definitely. It has to be same for every citizen, I guess, which of course is very far from reality. (laughs) Oh, well. Yeah. Um, Okay, let's talk about your childhood. Where did you grow up and how was growing up? Ah, So my father is from indigenous community, but my mom is from Bengali community, which is the mainstream community in Bangladesh. But uh, religion wise, my mother is also from minority because uh, she's from Hindu community. When I was growing up at that time, I was sort of feeling I am in a no man's land because I was a mixed child. And I saw these to be little others from both sides of the community of my parents. So the indigenous peoples always told me that I'm not holding the pure bloods of indigenous people, which was a problem for them. And then when it comes to my mom's side, there also was a tendency to always belittle me and my sibling saying that I come from a savage background, you know, because my my father is from indigenous community. So apparently the indigenous community is something that is savage. So that was very interesting when I was growing up in a way that gave me a third eye to look into each issues from an impartial way rather than holding our identity so dearly, so blindly that you don't even see what's wrong going on in that identity. That was sort of my childhood when I was growing up. But I must mention that some people in the indigenous community who hold me tight with their love and affection. And there was also some people in the Bengali community who were holding me tight and really, really welcoming, despite of whatever religion or whatever birth heritage that I'm coming from. So sad when this happens. I feel so sad for you. I'm so sorry. I wish we were- No, no problem at all. As I said, that it wasn't like, you know, all the people of the indigenous community were hating me. I mean, people who hold hatred in their mind doesn't matter. Uh, We should learn to sort of like deal with the people who are loving to us, towards us, 
and also i think uh, the another thing is that from the negative kind of people you learn the lesson not to act in their way so whatever i faced in my childhood i'm adamant that i'm not going to pose it to anybody else you know because i know the pain and i know the dilemma that even when i was like 4 5 years old just listening that i'm a cross breed was hurtful i'm not going to say that to anybody else so you can actually learn from both negative and positive experiences it actually depends on how you are applying those things in future life i still feel that it's unfair that kids have to be faced with these things that are prioritized by adults anyway yeah. anyway that has made you what you are today and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and i'm uh, like i'm happy to see that you know you've taken it in a positive stride and it's not defeated you but, but it's not the same for so many of us like you know hate is very defeating and yeah i'm so glad that you conquered it and you moved ahead thank you thank you so much and uh, where did you grow up was it in chitagong i actually grew up in chitagong hill tracks that's the indigenous uh, people's area that i am talking about and uh, it was wonderful I, and i didn't know that it was wonderful unless i moved out from chitagong hill tracks when i was in university so there were lots of playgrounds there were lots of trees that we can climb there were lots of fruits that we can just pick up and it wasn't that complicated when i was growing up in a way but also when i was growing up there was also lots of communal attacks and genocides were happening and because my father was a indigenous people's rights activist and a politician that was also impacting our childhood in a way uh, there was communal attack happened in longodu naniachor borkol the three names that i mentioned these are the parts of chitagong hill tracks area when this attack happened the biggest celebration of indigenous people came to a halt because they wanted to mourn for the people those were killed in this communal attack they wanted to mourn for the child who lost their mothers who lost their families you know when you are a child all you want to celebrate a festival and our biggest festival was biju and the biju was constantly getting stopped and my father was saying that we are not going to celebrate biju this year because in that place there was a communal attack and this many people were killed this many child has you know has lost their parents we were hearing all this statement from our father but when we were a child we didn't actually understand the gravity of these messages so we were getting sort of like annoyed sort of disturbed that we can't celebrate our festival i think my point is why i am raising this example that when there is a communal attack is happening in your area which may be not affecting you directly maybe you are not losing your loved one directly but still that sort of attack leaves a trauma in your childhood just because you can't celebrate your festival that you were looking forward 
for the whole year. In a way, growing up in Chittagong Hill Treks, it was very nice, but in a way, it was also very saddening, frustrating, and just to understand that what's going on in my area with my people. Yeah, that's really hard to deal with. And this part of Bangladesh history is not even popularly known. We know about the war with Pakistan, but you know, we don't hear about what is happening with the Adivasi people, the indigenous peoples of Bangladesh. Yeah, okay. And I will go back to your systematic racism that you were mentioning earlier. I think this is a part of systematic racism. You know about the war with Pakistan. That was the liberation war of Bangladesh, you know. And there were many indigenous freedom fighters who also took part as a freedom fighter to save their motherland, which is now Bangladesh. But then, since the Bangladesh was liberated, since Bangladesh was born, there was at least 13 genocides happened in Bangladesh against the indigenous people, just because we don't fall into the category of mainstream people. And nobody know about this. There is no book written about this. There is no statement that has been recorded about these genocides. And I think this is how the systematic racism is happening. You can just wipe out that 13 genocides took place. Nobody knows about it. Aki, you are from India. You don't know about this. To some extent, I think that it's fine. But to me, the most frustrated part is even the Bangladeshis, the aware Bangladeshis, the conscious Bangladeshis, they also don't know about this operation that has been going on. All they know about how the indigenous people took arms to save their identity. So they think the indigenous people as a community that is against the sovereignty of Bangladesh, but that is not true. When someone is taking up arms, it's because they're were series of operations that happened against them. I think that the conversation around citizenship and indigeneity and nationhood and citizenship is quite a global one when it comes to indigenous peoples. And even when I was visiting Dhaka, I kind of felt some form of hostility when I was in the presence of non-indigenous peoples and the way they received me. And of course, I did not have another indigenous person around me to share this with and reflect on these conversations that were happening around me, about me and with me sometimes. Yeah, so I definitely felt that. What you said about your experience, Aki, I think that's the microaggression. And people don't know about their microaggression tendency. Some people tell me that you speak really good Bangla, you know, because I'm from the Chakma community. When I speak really good Bangla, it's a huge thing. It's something to be applauded. But they will never say that, I'm sorry, I don't speak your language. Mm -hmm, Population-wise, they are bigger. Power-wise, they are bigger. And that's really sad that how they lose the humanity among themselves because they are bigger in number. You know, it's it's really sad to see. You were there because you were an artist. Doesn't matter you are coming from the indigenous background or non-indigenous background. But still, she or he has to put a level on you. That happened because you look different, you know. Why you have to look into people's attributes, physical attributes, and then address them. Why you can't 
just treat them as human. It was rubbish. I also had <laughs> another very sweet experience when I was in Dhaka. So we went to Boy Mela and uh, mm-hmm. there was one indigenous child, a girl, a young girl. She was in a bookstore and she kept looking at me and I kept looking at her obviously and then she smiled. So I went over to her and I said, how are you doing? I am also Adivasi. And then she was like, yeah, I know I could tell. And it was so great <laughs> to see you. And then she was like, I'm happy <laughs> with you because I don't see anyone coming to Boimela who is Adivasi. And it just felt so nice. That connection was... Yeah, so it sort of feel like home, no? Yeah, it was so nice. Um, okay, let's talk about your experience at the university. Did you study law? Yes, yes, I did. So my father was arrested and he was under preventive detention. At that time, I was only like 10, 11 years old. I saw the struggle that my mom was going through just to make sure that my father will be released. So uh, at that time, there wasn't much indigenous lawyer who were willing to take up the case. And not to mention that given the risk on the security, that if you take up a case, of a indigenous rights activist, you and your family will be suffering. That was also a biggest hassle. And at that point, I thought that I must study law so that if there is something else is happening in the indigenous community, I can just take up the cases. So that's how I choose law. Uh, But the funny part is, Aki, that in Bangladesh now, I can't practice as a lawyer because you have to go through the bar council exam if you want to practice as a lawyer. So now my role is to spread the knowledge and information. What are the ways that you can take when you are facing discrimination. That's beautiful. And how do you spread awareness? So I wear uh, different hats. One of my hats are I actually established an organization. It calls Supporting People and Rebuilding Communities. In short, we called it SPARK, working to build awareness on the traditional law, national law, and international law. We give them the guidelines that they can follow when they are filing general diary or they are filing cases in the police station. And we have wonderful volunteer groups in Spark who goes with the survivor to the police station or the, or the victim's family to the police station to help them step by step to file out the cases. We also connect them with the bigger NGOs or the bigger rights organization in Bangladesh that are working in the same area. It can be women rights, it can be indigenous people rights, or it can be children rights. Another thing Spark is doing is busting the myth about the indigenous people. There is also a tendency in Bangladesh that mock the indigenous people about their food, about their cuisine, about how they dress. So we are trying to bust those myths and we are trying to make a bridge between the non-indigenous people of Bangladesh and indigenous people of Bangladesh. And we are sort of trying to show them at the end of the day, we share same kind of experience. At the end of the day, we are hurt when somebody is hitting us when somebody is oppressing us and we just need to understand each other context that's so beautiful i think that is 
extremely important, not just for other people to accept us as we are, but also for our people to not be ashamed of our own identity and our own history. You know, the reason that they shame us so much is to integrate us within the larger system, right? But when they are integrating us, we lose so much of what is us and what is our own, including land, which is like, it's, it's so important for us as indigenous peoples, but... Yeah, and also, Aki, I, I want to raise one point that it's not like the indigenous youth are not useful or they can't contribute to the bigger goal. In my experience, I have met so many wonderful indigenous youth who can move the mountain, who can shift the ocean. These people can make a difference they these people can make a change if you just understand their language if you just give them the opportunity to solve the problem in their language their context and the struggle yeah, definitely. I totally agree. So much work because it's never enough. Like, you know, you can wear their sari and salwar kameez and whatever. But end of the day, it does not protect me from getting racially attacked. It could be verbally, but sometimes it's also physically. Sometimes it's sexually. And it just yeah. never stops. Yeah. I don't have to do the hard work. You have to do the hard work. You have to change. You know, it's up to you to change and recognize my humanity so that you stop treating me and my people as inferior and us having to like scale up your mountains to appear human enough to you. But yeah. At an international level, people are not aware of all these things, these nuances. People think all South Asians are the same. Yeah, yeah. And also, as I mentioned earlier, Aki, I think it's a part of the systemic racism that is happening because they are wiping out our history. They are wiping out our story of operation and everything. That's why when we go to the international level, they think that all the South Asians are the same. To some extent, the burden is also on the indigenous people who are educated, who know how to write in English, who know how to write in the state language. When we are getting educated and understanding the bigger picture of the world, we are sort of leaving behind the indigenous roots. I think that's a problem. You must talk about the roots and the story that you heard from your grandfather or from your relatives and you should write them down. You should record them down just the way that Sister Library is doing now, that it's just recorded, you know? Yes, that's so true. And also the conversation, I think, should now shift from us being tribal to us being indigenous. There are so many multi-layers and I think it's the state who is feeling that if they recognize the indigenous people, they will lose our land, they will lose the power. That's from where the state is saying this thing. They think they will lose their power over the indigenous people's land, over their resources. The resources that has been saved and protected by the indigenous peoples for centuries. Yeah, definitely. And which they don't see as valuable because we did it. Like had they done it, like, you know, there would be so many books and films made on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's nonsense. 
Yeah, makes me so angry every time I think about state and the disservice that it has done to our people. And it continues to dehumanize us in so many ways through all these barbaric practices. And yet they call us savages. It's yeah, us savages. Like we are more civilized than them. <laughs> Yeah, And also there is not a single history where one indigenous community were sent out to wipe out another indigenous community. Yeah. If you look into the American history, Australian history, India history, in Bangladesh history, it's always the same. You know, there is sort of like the tendency of wiping out an entire community. Yeah, that's so true. And yet they keep telling us that if the Aryas did not arrive to this part of the world, then the indigenous peoples would kill each other because they were warring tribes. And I'm like, excuse me, like you are killing us right this minute. Like, yeah. well, why are you talking about 2000 year old history? Yeah, exactly. It's nonsense. Anyway, well, we've been talking for a really long time. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't want to keep yeah. you long. But uh, I'm loving it, Jackie. I'm loving to talk to you and sort of like reflecting. Uh, sweet, yeah, me too. It's always so nice to connect to an indigenous sister because you know we don't have to explain to each other in great detail. Like we already know. We are sort of like same page. Yes. We know that we are on the same page with our struggle and operation. Yes. And our resilience. Struggle, challenge and the victory. Yeah, we are one. And they don't want this to happen. They don't want us to unite. But here we are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, okay. Tell me about your current life. Okay. Uh, so my current life is in Australia. As I said, I'm raising my two years old. Um, I'm also running Spark. We just uh, secured a fund from the Women's Fund Asia. So we are hoping to build more uh, peace, trust and friendship between the indigenous people and non-indigenous people in Bangladesh through this fund. I also love doing bullet journal. That is one of the things that I do like religiously in every year. Now it's just the 2021 came up. So I'm, I'm sort of like figuring out how my bullet journal will be look like. What are the issues that I want to be focused on? What are the challenges that I want to overcome? And I'm really looking forward to go back to my country again to be with my family and friends. I'm looking forward that 2021 would be much more interesting than uh, 2020. So let's see. Let's hope for the best. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be great. And uh, do you have any advice for young Indigenous women listening to us right now? You know, Aki, I have been always leveled as the bad girls in the community. And I sort of wear this bad girl level as honor that when people are calling me bad girl it's because I am spreading the courage to the other indigenous sisters to talk about their operation and as girls who are listening today I would like to say that forget about the identity of the perpetrators nobody has the right to violate your freedom your security your peace even if he, she, or they is from your own community. 
So whoever is the perpetrator is, please raise your voice. You will do a good job for your community. In our indigenous community, there was not that much bad practices before, but with all this globalization and media interruption, now we are learning a lot of bad things. So please, 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 indigenous sisters, raise your voice against every violence, doesn't matter from where the perpetrator is, from the indigenous community or from the non-indigenous community. Just raise your voice. Yeah, that is so important. It's so important to speak up because you never know who is listening to your voice and what it might inspire. And it takes so much courage to do it. But, you know, it's really worth it to stand up and speak. Yeah, and Aki, also very difficult to raise voice against the indigenous brother because we share the same thread of indigenous identity. But I think that we must raise voice and we point out where our indigenous brothers are doing wrong. That is so important for our entire community to to teach our young sons and brothers what is wrongful action. And we actually are, you know, tasked with protecting our men in our community because our men have faced so much violence, like us women definitely, you know, at a very different level, like militarized violence and sexual violence. The way men are treated by the nation state is at a very different level. So I think women in our community are also tasked with protecting our men no matter what. And then in that we forget to protect ourselves. So this is so important to say that it doesn't matter who he is. Even if he is from your community, hold him accountable and raise your voice. Definitely, it's beautiful and important. Do you have any suggestions of books written by female authors that you would like to make to our listeners today? Yeah, I do. I do, actually. So I want to mention about Kalpona Chakma's diary. Unfortunately or fortunately, that book is in Bangla. So Kalpona Chakma was a girl was an indigenous girl activist from Chittagong Hill Tracks who was abducted allegedly by the military forces in 1996. Uh, her case is still pending in the trial and there were like more than 30 investigation officers has been changed but there is no final report came up. But we managed to gather some of the letters and some of the diary of Kalpana Chakma and it was published. Being an indigenous women activist in the indigenous people's rights movement, how she saw the women's freedom and the indigenous freedom are connected intertwinedly. Another book that I want to mention about is by Roxane The Bad Feminist. I think we all must read it. And the third book, Anna Frank's Diary. If we read Anna Frank's Diary, that sort of remind us to be kind, to be loving, to be caring to the entire human world. Such great recommendations, sis. Love it. Thank you so much. And is there a shout out that you'd like to give to a mutual aid group or an organization doing good work right now? Okay. Um, so I want to give a shout out to Unmesh, 
it's a blood donor organization, but they are doing really good with their works in uh, Chittagong Hill Treks area. And also I want to give a shout out to Spark, that the organization that I founded, because we are currently raising funds for the survivor and victims of violence against women. And we are hoping that we'll be able to make a shelter house for these survivors and victims. Because right now, the facilities that are available in Bangladesh allow you to have five days of shelter, which is not enough. Yeah, that is so important to have a shelter house, and especially like one that is founded in an indigenous space. Please go ahead and make a contribution if you can. It's so important. The last question is, how can one be a sister supporter? Don't judge a person based on your assumption that would be my advice thank you and uh, where can we follow you um you can always reach out to me in facebook my facebook id called muktasri chakma shati or also you can reach out to me on my organization uh, profile it's called sparc.bd so if you have any question or if you want to work with the spark and me you can always reach out all right uh, that is all the questions i have for you thank you so much for joining me this conversation was so rich and fulfilling and i had such a great time and uh, yeah, thank you for making time for us and for all the work that you do and all the heart you put into the work that you do and supporting so many indigenous women and the community. I'm super grateful. And I hope you continue to do this and like you shine through 2021 and everything falls into place and it's beautiful. Thank you so much, Aki. And Thanks so much to Sister Library as well to do this interview. And I'm very much looking forward to hear um, more about the Sister Library. And I am looking forward to work more with the Sister Library. Yes, we definitely collaborate. Indigenous sisterhood. Yes. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah. This is great. Thank you so much. Take care of yourself. You too. Bye. Bye. Muktashri Chakma. Make sure you give her a follow and also follow Spark. You'll find the Facebook links and the details in the show notes. Please also contribute if you can. A little goes a long way. If you would like to get in touch with us, please email us at ilovereadingwomen at gmail.com you can also drop us a message on Instagram, we are at sister.library or tweet at us at sisterlibrary. Please share this episode and all the other episodes with your friends and your family. Leave us a review, rate us, we would love to hear what you think. Thank you. 
Sister Radio is supported by Prohilvishya India, the Swiss Art Council. And music for Sister Radio is composed by my very lovely sister, Shasha Patel. Thank you once again for joining us. And until next time, keep celebrating women. <laughs>